So there have been numerous conversations happening around the topic of reopening church, and those are happening all across the nation. They're happening here in San Diego. Uh, folks are asking, when, when can we go back to church? And we know there's a lot, of, a lot of issues kind of tied up in that. It is a topic that our staff has been talking about. It's a topic that our elders will be considering this week of what does it look like uh, to reopen the church doors. And, and I don't have a lot of answers for you in that uh, regard as of yet, but, but just a couple of things to be aware of. Uh, one is that our campus has been completely shut down since uh, we went shelter in place. And so there really has not been anyone on campus on a regular basis. Our staff is uh, planning to return to work on Tuesday. Um, for those who feel comfortable coming to work, many of them will still telecommute. Uh, but there are those who would like to be on campus. And so we'll be able to start exploring some options, cleaning our campus up, preparing it. That's one issue. The second issue is a lot of people want to come back and worship and be in the sanctuary or be in the fellowship hall and, and sing the praises of God. And as some of you may be aware that uh, congregational singing or choral singing or choir singing or band uh, performing and singing, uh, that is considered to be one of the most dangerous ways of passing COVID-19. And so there are a lot of concerns about what that's going to look like when we come back uh, into the sanctuary or into the fellowship hall. Um, there'll probably be, I, 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 it's hard to say this, but there'll probably be no congregational singing um, simply because of the, the danger that exists from a respiratory disease like COVID-19. And we want to be cautious and we want to be careful. There's also stories out there of churches that have opened up in the past couple of weeks and uh, hundreds of people have been exposed to COVID because someone was in the congregation uh, who was uh, presenting symptoms of COVID. And, and so we have to be careful with that. And, and I pray that you will um, join us in prayer about that, actually, because we want to make wise decisions. We know uh, that it's important to be together. I, I'm, I'm sick of preaching into a camera, honestly, uh, but it's what we're doing for now. And that, that's okay. Um, it is what God has in store for us. We can still worship. And I think that's important. Uh, two of my new favorite words uh, during this season of COVID are the words pivot and fluid. Um, I use those words quite a bit. You're probably in a lot of conversations with people who talk about how fluid things are or how we're going to have to pivot uh, to make a change. So I don't know if we're going to be pivoting fluidly or fluidly pivoting or exactly what we're going to be doing. Uh, but we ask for your patience and uh, ask for your prayers because we want to make wise decisions. We want to be able to gather. I think that's one of, been one of the hardest things that uh, in the midst of a crisis, people are used to being able to come together and to worship or to sing or just to be around each other. And, and really a lot of that has been taken away from us for the fears that are that surround COVID-19. Um, so please just be in prayer. Be in prayer for your elders, um, your leadership team. We want to honor God. This morning, we are wrapping up our sermon series around the idea of questions that, that you all had. And the question for this morning is basically, can you teach me to pray? And, and there were a number of questions that were sent in around this idea of how do we pray or how often do we pray? And, and I think that prayer is probably one of the more intimidating things about our faith. Uh, it, it's scary uh, to, to pray in front of a group of people. It's scary sometimes just simply to pray out loud because we feel uh, almost like we're auditioning or that we want to make sure we're using the right words and using the correct phrases. And, and we sometimes can kind of psych ourselves out. Um, but as I think about prayer, I mean, it really is simply 
speaking and listening to God. It's us offering our words to God. And then the part that sometimes we leave out, it's actually listening for what God might have to say to us. And, and I've been doing a lot of uh, just reflection on that, particularly the idea of listening for God's voice. How can I get away and listen for God and what God might have to say to me or to say to our church? Um, you know, there's wonderful prayers in the scriptures. One of those we're going to look at and consider today is the prayer of Hannah. You have the prayer of Solomon as he dedicates the temple. Uh, you have Jesus teaching the disciples the Lord's Prayer. You have the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, where he prays for himself and he prays for the disciples. And then he prays for the followers who will come after the disciples. You have the prayer that Paul has for the church at Ephesus in the book of Acts. And so we see modeled some of these prayers in the scriptures. Uh, some of us kind of model our prayers on a formula that, that I learned when I was young called Acts. Um, a is for adoration. C is for confession. T is for thanksgiving. And S is for supplication. Uh, we begin with adoration. A, we adore, we look to God and are grateful to God just for who he is and what he's all about. C, for confession, we confess our sins. We recognize our shortcomings and our brokenness. T is for thanksgiving. We thank God for the many blessings that he has brought to us, the ways in which he has blessed others. And finally, S is for supplication. We lay before God the prayers of our hearts, uh, the things that are going on in our own lives, the concerns that we have. Uh, Martin Luther, as you may recall, uh, said our prayers should be brief, frequent, and intense. And I'm not sure that there is necessarily a, a perfect formula for prayer, but it is conversation. It is going to God and speaking with God and then listening for God. So this morning, as we take up this topic, we want to turn our attention to first Samuel chapter one. We're going to be reading the first 18 verses. It is the story of Hannah. And I have to tell you, the first couple of verses, there are a lot of names in here. So if I mispronounce them, uh, please be gracious. But this tells the story of Hannah's prayer and then eventually the result of that, which is the birth of Samuel. There was a certain man from Mamathim, a Zufite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. Her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord 
for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. The plight of Hannah is, is a difficult one. She is barren. She's unable to have children. The one thing that she wants most to have happen in her life, uh, she is unable to do. She can, cannot conceive a child. Proverbs thirteen twelve probably describes it well for what she feels. Proverbs, the proverb says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's how it begins. But then there's this word of hope, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And Hannah had these longings. She had these hopes, but it was all being deferred and it was making her sick. And she wept and she pleaded and she went before God. And what happens? Well, Penina makes fun of her. Elkanah tries to comfort her by saying, don't I mean more to you? This is not the words of a husband should be using. Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? We know the answer to that. And then Eli thinks she's drunk. I mean, it is a triple whammy that she experiences probably every time she'd been going. And this time in particular, because she makes her way to the house of God and she prays and she pleads. And I've wondered how many years did Hannah go to Shiloh? How many years did she go and pray for the Lord to help her to conceive a child? And she is persistent in her prayer. And for us, I think there's something to be learned in that, that in our own prayer lives, um, there's a call to persistence. There's a call to um, remembering that, that, that God still hears us, even though we're not certain that he hears us. You may recall the story that Jesus tells in the gospel of Luke, the 18th chapter, the parable of the persistent widow. And I'm just, I'm going to read the first 18, first eight verses. So then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who just kept coming to him with a plea Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, the judge refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come back and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, Jesus said, he will see that they get justice and quickly. 
However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Jesus tells us right after, if you look at Luke chapter 17, he's been talking about the coming of the kingdom of God. But then he says there, there's, these, there's this judge and there's this persistent widow who's trying to get justice. And the judge cares nothing for her. The judge cares nothing about anything really, except only making a life for himself. He is perhaps an unjust judge. We don't know that. But, but, but he's totally focused on himself. And this widow just keeps coming back time after time, asking for justice, pleading for mercy. And she's alone in this. She has no uh, kinsman redeemer who would normally have gone and done something like this. She, uh, she's by herself. And her only hope is this judge. And, and I wonder for us, as we think about our prayer lives, because Jesus tells the story in the context of, of prayer and persistent prayer, how many times do we feel like that widow? Do we feel like we're going to God and we're not even sure if he recognizes us, if he knows us? I mean, this has been the strange thing about living in COVID and all of us wearing our masks and we bump into people and and we're like, I'm not sure. I think that's who that is. I don't know if you've had that experience or not, but it's just weird. Like we don't recognize the people that we should recognize because we got masks on and sunglasses and a hat. We don't recognize one another. And sometimes I think when we go to God, that's what it feels like. Like, like we're trying to reveal to God what's going on and we're wondering if he even knows us, if he even sees us. And so this widow is persistent and, and, and Hannah's persistent. And what we have to be careful of is that we don't move to despair, but that we continue to cling to hope because hope is one of the most important gifts that God has given to us. As we pray, as we call out, if you look at what happens with Hannah, she, she calls out, she pleads, she begs, she goes to God and pours out her heart. That's why Eli thinks that she's intoxicated because she is so deep in recognizing and confessing to God what's going on in her own life and the desire to have a child. But year after year, probably what has happened she's gotten the answer of no, or she's gotten no answer. But we see how deeply faithful she is. She goes to the house of the Lord every time. Her prayer to God is is the longest recorded prayer. If you look in in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and in this section too, uh, it's the longest prayer that's recorded by a woman. She is deeply faithful. She calls out God's name 18 times in her prayer in 1 Samuel because she longs for God to answer her, to provide what she is praying for. But as we know, oftentimes in our own prayer lives, God seems to say no. And, and, and you have to understand that happens to the best of us. Uh, it, it happens throughout the scriptures. Moses gets to the edge of the promised land. And you remember God had told him he's not going in. And Moses is like, Lord, please. I've led these people for 40 years. I've dealt with all their stuff. Let me go into the promised land. And God's answer is no. David pleads for his first child with Bathsheba and pleads for the life of this child. And God says, no. Elijah has had enough. And he pleads with God. He's like, God, I just want to die. Just let me die. This is ridiculous. There's no one else out here who cares. And God says, no. The apostle Paul, we looked at this text a couple of weeks ago, prayed 
that the thorn in his flesh would be taken from him, that it would be removed because he felt like it was a hindrance to his mission and ministry. And God said, no, Jesus, God's own son, prays the cup of God's wrath would be taken from him. And God is simply silent. And that's hard. And it can lead to a discouragement. And that's why I think that one of the most important things that we learn from Hannah is simply her persistence. That she continues to go to Shiloh. She continues to make the sacrifice. She continues to go to the house of the Lord. She continues to plead with God, begging God to remember her. We have to trust God's plan. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 3 and 4. This is what the prophet says. And I hope these are comforting words to us. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel. You whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried you since you were born. And in this part, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Even to your old age and gray hairs, God says, I am with you. I will sustain you. I made you. I will carry you. I will rescue you. Those are four great words to describe what God is about in our own lives. God calls us to be persistent. Jesus says, keep praying for justice. And sometimes we simply don't see it. But those words of Isaiah remind us that even to our old age, even as we get more and more gray hair or lose more and more hair, God says, I've got you. I created you. I will sustain you. And I will carry you. And what an incredible gift that is. Now, this prayer of Hannah, we have to also see is, is, is oftentimes as we pray, it's not just for ourselves. Because Hannah makes this crazy deal with God. I mean, I've made some deals with God before, but, but, but Hannah's deal with God is, is amazing because she says, Lord, if you give me a child, I'll give him right back to you. He can grow up under Eli. He can be here at Shiloh. He can learn from Eli. He will, he will be your own. But what happens because of the birth of Samuel? I mean, actually, it's because of Hannah's prayer that the entire trajectory of Israel changes. Eli was not a competent leader. His sons, Phinehas and Hophni, if you read about them, they were terrible. And Eli did not keep a handle on them and did not watch over them. And God was not pleased with him. So God answers Hannah's prayer by bringing Samuel into the world so that Samuel might become the leader of Israel. He cleans up, if you read through 1 Samuel, he cleans up Israel. He gets rid of the idols. He gets rid of the, the shrines. He pushes all of that back and calls Israel to worship the true God. He anoints David as king over Israel. And all of this happens because of Hannah's prayer that not only blessed her, but then blessed an entire nation as Samuel brought them back to faith. Her prayer, her faithfulness, Changed Israel forever. One more thing on this text. Notice in verse 18 
the change that comes over Hannah after she realizes that God has heard her prayer. Verse 18 says, she said, Hannah said, may your servant, this is in response to Eli, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way, ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. She had gone up to pray to God with a downcast face. Year after year after year, God had seemingly not heard her prayer. And now Eli tells her that she will bear a son. And everything changes. Her disposition changes. She goes back and she eats something. Because God has given her a clear word. The the fulfillment hasn't happened yet. She hasn't conceived. She hasn't had a son. None of that's happened yet. But it doesn't matter. Because what she realizes is God is on the move. That her prayer has been heard. And because of that, her disposition changes. She is no longer downcast. And for us to be able to cling to just that little bit of hope that God does hear us, we don't fully understand all the times that he says no or why he says no. Jesus doesn't actually get that either. Paul didn't get it. But what we do know is that God says, I'll carry you. And I'll love you. And I've redeemed you through Jesus. So life comes and there are bumps along the way. But my prayer is that we'll be like Hannah. Actually, this sermon really hasn't been that much about teaching you exactly how it is that you ought to pray. Instead, I just wanted to tell you a story about someone who was faithful in prayer. Someone who probably had experienced a lot of ups and downs in their life, perhaps someone like us, um, but they continued on. Hannah just simply was faithful in her prayer life and her prayer journey. She was no expert. The irony of the story is this, because I think sometimes we worry about prayer that, that, that we have to have it all figured out and we, and we need to be professional prayers. And if we're going to pray, we need to be like pastors. We need to go to seminary and have education. Well, look at Eli. That was Eli. He was the professional priest. And he totally missed it. He had power. He had prestige. He had the position. But God wasn't interested in that. What God was interested in was Hannah. A woman who approached God in all honesty and in all humility. A woman who pleaded passionately with God that he would hear her prayer. And a woman who continued to persist. And so as we think about our own prayer lives, I pray that we'll be like Hannah. We will hold on to hope. We will know that God carries us. That even in those times when God says no, we're not alone in that. When God says wait, we're not alone in that. Many faithful men and women who have gone before us have experienced the same thing. But what God's looking for in us is humility. He's looking for passion. He's looking for persistence. And his Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, will give us the words that we need. So may we be people of prayer, recognizing that prayer not only changes us, but changes the world around us. Let's pray. God, we at times struggle with prayer. Some people struggle with the words. Some people struggle with making time. Some people struggle with being disciplined in prayer. And honestly, Lord, the way we grow in prayer, the way we learn how to pray, I think is by practicing it, by simply coming to you and praying, whether we write our words, whether we speak our words, whether we just think our words, 
in our own hearts, or I don't think that that necessarily matters. But what matters is that we practice prayer. And so, Lord, would you help us to cling to hope? Do not let despair run our lives or ruin our lives, but allow us to rest in knowing that you are with us. And, Lord, that even to our old age and even to our gray hairs, the promise is that you will carry us because you have created us. So, God, give us hope. Give us life. And, Lord, on this Memorial Day weekend, allow us to remember the the true freedom that we have in and through Jesus Christ. We pray and ask this all in his name. Amen.